Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Tuesday evening. I'm trying to be efficient, so let me see. We can take a look at the Haftarah today. A f- famous Haftarah, but one of these Isaiah things that are very obscure, as always. Tonight's uh, Haftarah podcast is being sponsored uh, through the organization of uh, my good friend and former student, Ellie Fisher. He's actually listening. This is very nice. In honor of the generous donation of a kidney by Rabbi Nathan Rack- Rickman. Think about that. Donated a kidney from his Modian friends. In other words, his friends in the city of Modin in Israel is Benny, Dove, Ellie, uh, Kalman, Noah, I know who Noah is, and Obi. Okay, so I mean, uh, in economy, think about that. It's an honor of someone who is donating a kidney. Wow, that's very big. Everything should go well and should have a you know, complete recovery and so forth. Now, um, this week's Parsha. Of course, Ishmos. And we begin to story the Jews in Egypt. Of course, we started before already with the Jews in the time of um, Yosef. However, it's pretty clear uh, that um, I'll cut right to the chase. In the time of Yaakov, when he's alive, the Jews are not in the Dachim Beretz Mitzrayim. You know, they're not abandoned or, or, or wandering there or stuff like that. They're there temporarily. Lagurbar's Manu. But they stayed. And the time of Shemos, they're there, quote-unquote, permanently, until they're not. And I repeat, 80% of them remained there permanently, even they died there. And so there's something crazy connection about the Jewish people on the one hand and Mitzrayim on the other. You can't deny it. Um, we do have a connection, a deep connection with the land of Israel. It's also, at least to my way of thinking, that's all I can ever say, for some reason... There's always this shaykhah of the Jewish people in Mitzrayim. It's all weird. But throughout Jewish history, it's always been there. And it's creepy the way the prophet Isaiah today, Yishayel, is sort of talking about the future because Haboim Yatresh Yaakov, Yotzi Tzaparach Yisrael, that just means in the days to come, you know, Jacob will take root and Israel will sprout and bud. So in other words, the Jews will return to Eretz Yisrael and start to grow, you know, and the earth will be covered with fruit. The Molopanei table Tanuva. So you imagine, metaphorically, maybe not so metaphorically, but, you know, that's how Machlokas Mark Twain and the Arabs was Israel, Palestine, you know, a wasteland or not when the Jews are not there. Uh, but he's describing it over here in the prophecy that it's a, a wasteland, but then it won't be. So it's a little bit like the muscle of dry bones. If you see an area blasted, and then all of a sudden it starts to, to, to Yashresh and Yifrach and Pnei Tevel, you start miraculously to see stuff start to grow and flourish and be you know verdant and and give a lot of fruit. That's the sign of a rebirth. And that's the Moshe Lekla Yisrael. You see, you know, they're out of Israel. Now, it's weird. You know, if you're not a Bible critic, then Isaiah is talking about the time when he lived. He's making a Nebuah of the future. And so... 
Prophet Yeshayahu, listen closely, is talking most likely in the time of Chizkiyahu. You know, he was the prophet for a number of kings of Judah. According to Chazal, Yeshayahu was a member of the royal family. Okay? Notice the king of Matsu was his uncle. So, he's there for the time of Uziyahu and Yosem. That's 50, 60, 70 years right there. Right? With, with Uziyahu, 52 years and Who's it, Yosem, uh, 16 years? So, you know, almost 70 years right there. And then you got Ochaz and Chizkia. So, I mean, come on, you know. Ochaz gives you another 16 years. So you're talking about um, 86 years. So you're telling me that Yeshayo was like 100 years old, Be'erich. If he's prophesying during the reign of Chizkia, who's the son of uh, Ochaz. This is how it goes. Okay? This is how it goes. But that's what they say. You know, in the beginning of the book, Yishayol, Chazon Yishayol ben Amotzer, you know, Achaz v'chizkiyol, Melch Yehuda, you know what I mean, right? Now, uh, so Yishayol is an old man. He's seen a lot. He's uh, seen some bad times. I'm talking about spiritually, as far as the Jews go. He's seen the Jews been in some pretty bad, non-from situations, right? But he foresees an eventual Messianic era, which the Jews, Jews will do teshuva in two senses of the word. They will return to Israel, they'll do teshuva in the sense of returning to the land of Israel, and teshuva they'll go back to Judaism, right? As he says in this week's parsha, a time will come when they will break the idols. Isn't that there? You know, those when they will crush themselves, the, uh, the, the idolatrous... Uh, 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 altars. So, you know, the Mishnah says, how do you know a guy is gone tshuva if he's a, a, a what do you call it? Masacha Bakuvia if he breaks it. You know what I mean? They have to do something physical. So, time will come the Jews themselves will break the altars. But until then, the altars of the different uh, pagan stuff was very popular. And this is what he's complaining about. So he's foreseeing this in a future time. So, um, Yishal is living as I said before, when the Jews believe in all kinds of idols, but he hopes or he foresees there'll be better times in the future. Now, uh, and I say again, he's old. And if you're living in time of Chizki, you're seeing some, uh, let me put it this way, some cataclysmic events. Early in the reign of Chizkiel, when Yeshua was an old man, the Norse is wiped out. You know what I mean. In other words, the empire of Asher comes and takes away the ten tribes. I use the colloquial expression ten tribes, even though it's not exactly ten, but whatever. Um, and they're gone. And you never hear from them again, as far as we know. There's all kind of rumors, urban legends, but you know, we never hear from them again. And these are going to be called Ha'ovud Ovdin Beretz Ashur. Okay? They're referred to in this week's Parsha, this week's Haftorah, Isaiah 27. Uh, that's one group. So. Two-thirds of Kalah Yisrael are removed from the scene totally. If they're not physically wiped out, they're just removed from Judaism. I mean, in the sense of picking them up and moving them somewhere else, right away. Um, why are the ten tribes removed? They were at rock bottom. They did all the Averas, Gila, Rashvich, Don Vodazar, and so forth. So how come we have all these legends that they're still from and, you know, they're, they're hiding in Africa or something like that. 
It's that, that's one of the problems with the legends. You understand? What I mean by that is, as far as we can tell, when the ten tribes are taken off and are oved in Beretz Ashur, they were far gone. You know what I mean? Their, 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 their Yiddishkeit was like zip. And there's even a Gemara somewhere. I mean, not that all the Agadas have to coordinate. This is when they came to wherever they settled. They said, this is good too. You know, presumably the Assyrians settled them somewhere in the Assyrian Empire. So in the Middle East somewhere. So let's say they settled them in a place which was habitable. I'm just making this up. Medea, Kurdistan, one of these types of places. It could be, you know. That's the most push of shot. So, uh, how Jewish were they? That's why it's a little strange to hear the stories in the Middle Ages. Oh, they're very from. They're waiting, you know, to, to contact the other Jews. Pashup shot is they're gone. So, in other words, they're ovdim bear. It's how short. That's why, that's a very good expression. Then you had the other group that he's referring to, which is Nedachim Beretz Mitzrayim. So, in the time of Yeshayot, there are no Jews in Egypt. Well, I don't know if that's true. See, that's the thing. You can't be oversimplistic. You can, but I mean, you can't be, you're not supposed to be oversimplistic when you come to these things. Uh, if you take a very superficial and simplistic way of looking at things, then you simply do, like you say, Bible contest type of scholarship. When did the ten tribes get destroyed and this this came? When did you, King Yehuda go under in this this time? How many years apart with so and so many years? Etc. Etc. However, I think, in point of fact, the land of Judah and Egypt are almost adjacent. They're close. They always did a lot of trade. Not everyone in the kingdom of Yehuda or Yisrael was a farmer. I mean, most of them were. But you also had the merchants. And the merchants did business with Egypt, among other places. Egypt has always been a big entrepot. You know, got goods coming from all over the world. If you go to Egypt and get stuff from Africa, you know what I mean. And vice versa, if you're Jewish, it's a good place to do business with. And Egypt, historically, you probably don't notice, has been incredibly wealthy because of the trade and the Nile. You should read the Bartonor's description of the money coming in and out of Egypt in his time. And so... What I'm trying to say is I'm sure that there was a Jewish colony in Egypt already in Bayesian period. And there are re- certain references to that in the book of Isaiah. But he obviously doesn't like that. Because at the end of the day, I know you're going there for business, but what's a Jew doing living full-time in Abu Dhabi? Get it? You know, what are you living in Arab country for? What are you living in Mitzrayim in Memtesh Sharitumo? God said you shouldn't go back to Egypt. You know, it's it's there's something wrong with it. You know, a place that would treat you bad, and now, and you know, all the rest of the problems associated with Mitzrayim. But the guy doesn't care because he said, I guess where I need for business, the Parnassa. And so these are Nidachim Beretz and trying to get it. They're not Ovdim Beretz Ashur because the people in Ashur are Ovid. They're lost. And I think what it means, as best I can tell, is that um, um, Within a generation or two, they, they, they lost their Jewish identity. That's what it seems to me. Imagine somebody from the ten tribes who survived all the other stuff and was able to be carried off as a slave, or maybe not, not, not that's not the right word, as a captive to Ashur, and then was settled in some area, in wherever, in Kurdistan or Medea or you know northern Iran, whatever, one of those areas. 
Mosul. That's where they were. I mean, most likely. So, uh, they stayed there. You know, who said they didn't marry local girls? Mechitesi. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, who knows? And they picked up the local gods and stuff like that. I mean, that's what they did back in Israel. That's why, according to the Book of King, that is why they were exiled. You know, right? And, uh, they're Ovdei Meir Zasher. Uh, you know, they're lost. What I'm trying to say is like this. You have a foreshadowing of nowadays. There's a ton of Jews, certainly in America and elsewhere. They're over them, Baird's America, or wherever. Meaning, they're physically Jewish. Their their DNA, their, their genealogy is Jewish. That's it. You understand? They don't know they're Jewish, or they don't want to know they're Jewish, or if they know they're Jewish, they don't know what it means, and so forth. And they're over them, Baird's Asha. They're over them, you know, in the land of America, which is, you know, the Hasidic interpretation. You know how the Hasidim are. They say, Ovdim Be'eretz Ashur, from the word Me'ushar. They're, they're Ovdim in the land of good and plenty. That's America, you know? And, uh, therefore, you tell an American Jew today of the type I'm talking about, who's completely assimilated, who knows who he's married to, and the rest of it. He says, do you want to move to Israel? Or have any shaykhs of that whatsoever? I'll say, yeah, you know, what are you nuts? Why would I? He said, well, you're Jewish, so what? So what? It's not like a from guy who's living in America who'll be ashamed of the fact and say, well, one day I'm planning to make Aliyah. You know, we're looking for a piece of real estate. We're trying to get a, 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 a good apartment, blah, blah, blah. You know, whatever you want to say, but at least they're saying that. But the people I'm talking about, no shot is that whatsoever. They're over the embarrassed, I'm sure. They're, they're, in the, they're mushar. And they don't realize that they're completely lost. They, they don't even have, you know, uh, um, a desire. And the question is, what's going to happen to these people? And the Prophet Shayo is telling us remarkably, this is very famous, this is a classic Judaism 101 I'm telling you. I'm just assuming you don't know Tanakh very well. This is very famous. right? And the Prophet Shayo is telling like this, a day is coming when those guys will be, uh, will come back to Israel. How can that be? They don't want to go. Or look at the other group, the Dochen Bears from Mitzrayim. They're in Egypt, uh, also for economic reasons, but they're Nidoch. It's a funny word, you know? Yeah, right? I mean, Nidoch is to be, to, you know, for, for, from pushing apart or something like that, you know what I mean? Right? You can translate it as dispersed. There's a lot of ways of translating it. But they all have the same general idea, which is they're rejected. Um, and these are people who know they're Jewish. But they're Nidoch and Beretz Mitzrayim. Perhaps they're, they're uh, what's the right word? They're slaves to the Egyptian culture, something like that. You know, it's, it's something along those lines. Now, how's it going to be that they're going to want to go back to Israel? They don't want to go. The answer is a time will come in the Messianic era. If you're a very religious Zionist, you know, you're going to tie into like 20th century, right? At time of Messianic era, where God will shake the world in such a way that they will go and make aliyahs, so to speak, even if it won't be a mass aliyah. It's it's extremely interesting. Uh, what has happened within memory when Israel became a country in 48 and afterwards? You had these large Jewish communities all over the place in the Middle East, 
But because of the rise of Israel, the Arabs went crazy, did a lot of pogroms and stuff like that. To be perfectly honest, Israel themselves instigated some pogroms on their own. Uh, Ben-Gurion I'm talking about. And uh, what happened? It was a violence. It's an anti-Semitic uh, a Semitic, uh, wave. And what was the result? The Jews had to flee. Uh, you understand? In other words, if it was up to them, maybe they wouldn't go. The Moroccan Jews, Lamashal. If the French would stay there all the time, uh, they should go. Uh, why would they? They weren't treated good when they got to Israel. You know, the whole Salah Shabbati business with the Malbara and everything. They weren't treated well there. They were treated better back at home. I'm sorry to say it, but it's a fact. It don't matter. <laughs> you see, it don't matter. Because international events were of such a nature that it shook the entire political fabric and structure and you had to flee. So, for example, and they're glad they did. So I always say, you know, the Jews of Iraq, for example, ran, went to Israel in 51, 1951. Ben-Gurion put some bombs in the shoulders of it they should think is a pogrom coming. But the Iraqis themselves were a bunch of mumsayrim also. And between one thing and the other, the Jews got scared and ran away. Well, guess what? And when they came to Israel, they did not have an easy time. None of the Sephardim had an easy time. This is a problem of Israeli history. And this is why the Sephardim vote for the Likud. Because my pie screwed them over, and they didn't forget it. And they don't forget it. That's what happens in a democracy. Now, wait a minute. Um, what happened? Because of the violent events of one form or another in 1951, they all got out of there and went to Israel. So they ducked a big bullet because if they would stay there when Saddam Hussein all his junk came to power in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, they would kill them all and who knows what they would do to them. And afterwards came the George Bush Wars, which I'm talking about this Saturday night. And the whole country of Iraq turned into a Corbin and still is to this day. And how would you like to be Jewish in the middle of all that business? You see? So part of the Messianic process, and I repeat the process, because it doesn't, Yeshai in this week's parsha doesn't speak directly about a guy coming in riding on a donkey or something like that, you know, a messianic figure coming in, you know, it's, it's it's describing pieces of what the future is going to look like. It doesn't talk the actual process. But one thing is, and, and here's the pusik that, that grabs the attention, I argue, uh, today, because it says, the famous 27, 12, and 13. It's very interesting. Is I mean one you know the other one you don't know. So what's this mean? Yomahu is a Mashiach time or something like that, something in the Messianic era. Yachbod Hashem, God will be chovet. What does chovet means? To bang, to shake a tree, whack it. Uh, like in the Mishnah, you know, how do you knock certain uh, things off the tree? You take a stick and whack the tree, and the, and the fruit falls off. Do you hear the mushal? Right? You get it? There'll be some kind of, uh, you know, God will cause some war, an aftermath of war, and the result is the Arabs will spaz out, and they'll go and do some kind of, uh, you know, pogrom or, or something along those lines, and it'll go through all the Middle East, which really happened after Israel became a state. It says in the Pesach, Yachbar Hashem, God will shake up, cause a shake up. Mishibos and Nahorad Nachamitzrayim, from the Euphrates to the Nile. That covers the Middle East, right? In other words, Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, you know, Israel, Egypt. Yachbar Hashem, Mishibos and Nahorad Nachamitzrayim. 
You'll be taken one by one to, to uh, you B'nai Yisrael. I don't think it means one by one. In my opinion, it means community by community. The Yemenites will come this, with this wave. The Iraqis will come with that wave. The Moroccans will come with another wave, and so on and so forth. And the reason I guess that that's what it means because that's what happened in our time. Now, I'm not saying this Mashiach said exactly, but on the other hand, it's not a coincidence either. I don't know what to do with it any more than anybody else does. People can suggest meaning behind it, but you know, we, you and I have lived our lives in the shadow of these events, and we never know how to interpret all the crazy stuff that's going on in the Middle East. Well, Marshall, right now it looks like it'll be some nuclear business between Israel and Iran, right? And you know, like, how's that supposed to work out? But it says, Very interesting um, uh, language. Which is plural. Those words cannot exactly be translated. You have an approximate idea. Right? Translate for me. You could maybe translate like this. Omit the Lamed. Maybe that would be a little bit better. But to look to that you will be gathered, leachad echad bnei Yisrael. I think it means kehila by kehila. In other words, the ek is in a wave, the chesinim in a wave. You know that some, something along those lines, right? So it sounds like there'll be a two-stage process. Those Jews who are Jewish will run to Israel because of Yachbar Hashem, because God will shake the tree, whack the tree with a stick. Bang, you could translate Yachbut as bang the ground, thresh it. No, let's do some violent acts. So as we would say in English today, he'll shake up the guns of Elf. Which very sim- is very similar to the prophecy at the end of Haggai, where it says, a you know, I'll, I'll turn the whole world and the gov- government's upside down, the thrones of kings, to bring the Jews back to Israel. It's, it's, it's quite remarkable. I don't think we know what treasures you have, you know, in these uh, books of the Bible of ours. So, uh, that's the first stage. See, both Sukkim start So they can't simply be talking about the exact same moment, but rather, at least in, as I understand it, like in the morning, and in the afternoon or the evening or something like that. Or as we would say today, stage one of the Messianic process and another stage of Messianic process. What is that? It doesn't say over there. It's very fascinating. It does not say, well, there will be a um, uh, a shaking up in a violent. That was the first puzzle. What's in the second puzzle? The talk of a Shavra Gadol. should be a great Shavra sounded. Now, that's not true. At least, I don't think so. There's not going to be a, a ram's horn that somebody's going to blow they can hear all over the place, unless maybe I'm wrong. You could say, well, you know, now you have the internet. <laughs> You know, you could now blow a shofar everybody could hear. So I don't know. You talk about The alienated Jews will come. That's the interesting part. Those who have completely lost their Jewish identity. So they didn't come from round one. Because when they shook up the whole country, they're going. At least they consider themselves going. You understand? There is a ton and a half beyond your belief of people in the Middle Eastern countries who are Muslims today who really aren't. By that I mean, if you go by their DNA, they're Jewish and one time or another they're pushed to convert. The Iranians can tell you this better than I can. You know, all the big, I hate to say this, 
All the big machers in Iran come from Jewish background. Now, that doesn't mean anything. They identify as Muslims. They're out to wipe out Israel. But it's crazy. Remember this general that, that uh, Trump killed, Salami, whatever his name was, you know, and Ahmadinejad and those other junk. If you know how it works over there, and your Persian friends can tell you better than I can, each one of these guys come from what we call today some kind of Murano or that's not the right word, converso background. Because they have these waves of, of conversion in the Muslim world. It happens all the time. And something will happen to stir their Jewish identity. You talk of a shofar agodol. A shofar will be blown, meaning it's not a physical, it's not yachbud Hashem. It's not a shaking up of the situation. A shofar blown is like a wake-up call. It's, it's something happening in the consciousness. It's not some cataclysmic event that's causing people to run away. See, if I wanted to, I could play the game and say, look at the Jews um, in Egypt, for example. There were 70 or 75,000 Jews, most of whom were doing pretty well in 1948 in Egypt. Go read the, uh, the what do you call it, the Vadi Yose book, for example, from the art school. You see how big the Jewish community was and what, how, how assimilated they were. How they drove Vadi Yose crazy just because he asked for kosher food in the Jewish hospital. And John's like, it's amazing. Okay? And then what happened to those Jews? Israel became a state, and, some, and, and the country went a little bit uh, berserk, and some of the 75 Jews left. Then came the, uh, the, the, the Sinai campaign, 56, and a bunch of others left. And then came the 67 more, and a whole bunch of others left. So, in other words, attempt Lutu Achad Echad, one phase after another phase after another, they ran away to Israel because of that. But that doesn't apply to somebody who's not subject to the mob violence, because he's a Muslim, or, or whatever the case is. I'm not saying Tafka Muslim. He's a guy. Right? That person is Ove Beres Ashur. He's lost because he doesn't know the DNA. I don't know, and he doesn't know that he's Jewish. But Hashem knows. <laughs> you see? Hashem knows. I've said many times, I never forget, um, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, way back in the day, was asked how many Jews are in Soviet Russia? He says 17 million. 17 million. No, 17 million. Well, he knows. What does that mean? He knows that this guy, whose parents are, are, are going, and the grandparents are going, real, the great grandparents are not going. You know what I'm saying? You know, the Chabad knew. I'm talking about Russia now. There's a ton of people who, if you want to really go scratch back, are, uh, are Jewish, but uh, it'll take a chauffeur Godot. Now, it doesn't say God will blow the shofar go. That's a nifal. In other words, it will blow by itself. So some amazing cultural or intellectual event will take place that will result the bow of I can't imagine what that is, but if you want to think in serious terms about this Haftorah, I would argue these two psukim, especially you talk about shofar go. What event would constitute the blowing of a great shofar? You know, what cultural paradigm, what new model of thinking would result in people by the millions saying, I ain't this, I'm really Jewish, and I'm going there to celebrate. It's, it's fascinating to speculate what it is. Obviously, we, as the Ramah said, we won't know until we know, knows when it happens. But I'm telling you right now, after it happens, you say, oh, yeah, it's in the Haftar Pashish You know what I mean? Uh, it doesn't sound like it's a war. He not to me. 
you talk about Shofar Goro, sounds like it's a wake-up call. And a wake-up call has to do with mental. You're saying with cultural, with intellectual, civilizational, perhaps. Uh, so what could that possibly be? That I don't know. But I think that in uh, this year, I would argue that this lies at the heart of the Haftori that we're about to do. And uh, perhaps, uh, how should I put it? Perhaps it will, uh, to some degree, um, match what happened in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, which is a very complicated story. It doesn't sound like in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, the Parsha, you know, God sent Moses and all the Jews to let's go. As we know from this week and next week, Lo Moshe didn't want to go. But by the time it's over, I don't know, you know, the ones who wanted to go will go. It doesn't sound so great. But, you know, you, 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 the, the, the ten plagues possibly constituted Yitoko Shavar Uh What would that be in the 21st century? That's a very interesting thing to speculate about. Um, and I leave that to you. Once again, I want to thank Ellie, Chris, uh, and, and gang. And really, it's very nice of you guys giving a, a kidney. I mean, think about that. Um, that's co- actually quite remarkable. Uh, can get a bigger mitzvah. And... Um, Well, thank everybody and wish everybody a a good Shabbos. And we'll see you for the rest of the week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.